We are wrapping up our series this morning on the spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of a spiritual life. We've looked at many different disciplines over the past few weeks, that of prayer and study, solitude, guidance, worship, confession, simplicity, service, celebration, and fasting. And this week, we wrap up the series with a discipline of submission, the discipline of submission. I think it's fitting that we're looking at the discipline of submission because once we can gain maturity in this area, it really allows us to grow in our spiritual maturity of the other disciplines. Now, oftentimes when we think of submission, it can have a negative connotation, can it? We think of submission as often as giving up, maybe in sports of that of losing. Kids, we think of submitting to our parents. Husbands and wives, we think of submitting to one another. And for, for those sitting next to their spouse, they think that's definitely a negative connotation. But as we see in Scripture, and as we've been looking through Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline, one of the things that we're going to learn today is that, that submission is not about losing our independence or freedoms, but about gaining peace. I'll say that one more time. When we look at submission, it's not about losing our freedoms or our independence, but about gaining peace. That might be easy to say, not so easy to do. Many of us have attained great things in life. We have got to the point where we're very successful, maybe in our families or our careers or our finances or our incomes. And we've, we've we have a high level of success. And so the higher success that we have, oftentimes we, we really don't feel like we need to submit to anybody. It reminds me of a story of a captain of a large vessel who spent many years in the Navy. He had attained a high level of responsibility and was very proud of his accomplishments. One night he was on a tour of duty in his naval vessel, looked into the dark night, and he saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signalman to send a message, alter your course 10 degrees south, prompting a return message that was received, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angry. Not only was he not going to submit, but his command and authority had been ignored. So he sent a second message, alter your course 10 degrees south, I'm a captain. The message came back, alter your course 10 degrees north, I'm a third-class Navy sailor. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, Alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm a battleship. The reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a lighthouse. You see, oftentimes we get to a point where we think we know best and we're not going to submit to anybody. But God has a, a bigger plan, a bigger picture in mind. That's what submission is all about. We think that we can earn things and do things our own way. It reminded me of the song of Frank Sinatra, very famous song, I'll Do It My Way. He says, I'll do it my way. Regrets I have a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the way, and much, much more. I did it my way. There were times, I'm sure, that I bit off more than I can chew, but through it all, there was no doubt. I ate it up and spit it out. I did it my way. It's a great song. Great song by Frank Sinatra talking about, hey, we did it our own way. The problem is, is that Frank Sinatra battled depression. 
almost his whole life. He had alcohol problems and tried committing suicide twice. I would think that maybe Frank Sinatra might look back on his life during those times of agony and depression and doing it my way. Maybe he did have some regrets. You see, when we try to do things our own way, it always leads to conflict. That conflict leads to anxiousness. There's conflict with with others. There's conflict with, with ourselves. There's conflict with God. Submission is really about gaining that peace in our lives, knowing that God is in control, that we're going to submit to his authority in our lives. So what does it look like? How do we submit to God? Well, in order to do that, it might be helpful to look at why we would submit in the first place. James 4 has a great passage that talks about how we can submit to God and the blessings that come. He also, in his passage, unpacks some of the conflicts that arise when we don't. The key to this passage is this, defiance of God leads to conflict, but submission leads to peace. Defiance of God leads to conflict, but submission leads to peace. Let's look at defiance of God. What does it look like when we don't submit to God? If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn. We're in James chapter 4, verse 1. We see first that when we don't submit to God, we have conflict with others. Verse 1 says, those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are, are at war within you? It's no secret when we look at our culture and on the news, the wars that are going on around our country, the quarrelings that happen the fightings between different groups and different peoples. They're happening in our culture as well as in our homes. Some of you are struggling right now within your homes, having conflict with your children or with your spouse. I do a lot of premarital counseling, and one of the things I've learned to focus on is not so much the relationship with the couple, but their relationship with God, because I know that if there is not a submission to God in each aspects of the couple's life, there's not going to be much submission to each other, and there's going to be conflict. I've often turned down a few weddings when I know that the couple has absolutely no relationship with God, because I know there's a high probability that that relationship will end up in divorce. There's conflict with others when we don't submit to God. And it's always the result of conflict within ourselves. We see this from verse 2 of James chapter 4. He says, you want something and you do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, when we don't submit to God in our own lives, there's conflict within because there's uncontrolled desire. It's those fleshly desires that we want to have. There's also unfulfilled desires, those things that we want that, that, that don't ever get uh, fulfilled, and there's frustrating, and it wages war within. And we often lash out in frustration, often to the point of murder. We see this in our culture. We also see this in Scripture. Absalom was so lusted to rule Israel that he was willing to kill his father David for it. David killed Uriah because he wanted to be with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. People do all kinds of things when we have uncontrolled desire, unfulfilled desire, and all those things are are very selfish, selfish desires. 
They're selfish because they're things that we want, that we think that we need, physical needs that we have, things that we see, a pride in life that we want. James goes on to say that we don't ask because we have the wrong motives. People that don't submit to God do not ask for things in order to accomplish God's goodness, but for their own sake. A selfish person would never pray, God, thy will be done. They would pray, my will be done. You see, there's conflicts that arise within that causes conflicts with others, which ultimately leads to conflict with God. We see this as we continue in verse 4 of James chapter 4. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that is for nothing that scripture says God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell within us, but he gives us all the more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, James uses the word adultery there. He's not talking about an infidelity, but he's using terminology that the people would understand. In a marriage relationship, if there is infidelity, you would be an adulterer. It's the same kind of covenant that we have with God. When we stop submitting to him, we enter an adulterous relationship. It's a broken relationship. And what James is saying here is, is that there's conflict with God that results when we don't submit to him. He talks about scripture. Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that scripture says? You see, a prideful person isn't going to look at Scripture because they won't see it as a divine revelation from God. That's why verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we see from this passage very clearly what happens when there's conflict within ourselves, conflict with God, conflict with others. It's the, it's the result of not submitting to God in all aspects of our life. What's wonderful, though, is in this passage of James, he goes on to talk about the blessings that happen. And there are many blessings. Blessings of submitting to God leads to all kinds of wonderful things. Leads to courage, leads to contentment, and leads to comfort. Submitting to God, first off, leads to courage during temptation. We see this in verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Isn't that wonderful to know that when we submit to God, that we can resist the devil and he'll flee from us? You know, we're tempted with all kinds of things in life, aren't we? Throughout the scriptures, we see three different um, stories of how Jesus was tempted by the devil. While we don't have time to unpack them all here today, we, we see this in three different books, Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke. Jesus was submitting to God, and as a result, the devil left him. It's wonderful to know that Jesus was tempted as we are. In fact, he was tempted in every way we are. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. You know, I always wondered about this passage. I wondered, how could Jesus be tempted with things that I'm tempted with? If he was tempted in every way that I'm tempted, I don't understand. He wasn't tempted with, with lust, or he wasn't tempted with, 
with women or tempted with money or possessions or drugs when he was in the wilderness. He wasn't tempted with those things. So how could he be tempted in every way that I am tempted, yet be without sin? You see, you have to understand when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted in all ways, we're talking about categories, not specifics. And when we look at the categories, we realize that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. He was tempted to turn stone into bread. He was hungry. Tempted to turn stone into bread. It was a physical need. Satan then took him up to a high place and showed him all the land and said, if you bow down before me, you can have all this land. He was tempted with everything that he saw. Satan then said, throw yourself down off this high place. Have the angels rescue you. It was a temptation of pride. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. He was tempted with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's the categories. See, he was tempted in ways to believe that he wouldn't have enough food, to have enough to care for his physical needs, that he wouldn't have the protection, that he wouldn't be cared for, that, his, that he wouldn't have his physical needs met, and that he could have a life of pride to have it all on his own timing in his own way. He was tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. What the devil needs from us is the temptation to think that we need to get it on our own. That we need to attain a certain level to, to meet our own needs. That when we have these desires that we could just jump in and take them. That's the temptation. It's the temptation to cause conflict within ourselves and conflict with God. Satan does not need your broken down car. Satan does not need your, your house to go into foreclosure. Satan does not need your job to be lost. He does not need the cancer in your life. What he needs is for you to get your focus off God and start relying on yourself. That's the temptation. Isn't it wonderful to know, though, that Jesus can sympathize with us, that Jesus has been through all that, that he's there during those times of temptation, and that we can submit ourselves to God knowing that he is fully in control and when we do, we have courage during temptation. Not only do we have courage during temptation when we submit to God, but we also see that there's contentment during uncertainty. James 4 goes on to say this in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isn't that wonderful to know that when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. There's contentment during uncertainty. We may never be able to remove the, the cause of the anxiety, the job, the, the, the cancer, the finances, the wayward child, but it's not the circumstances, it's the reaction to them. I love what Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 ha talks about when it says, come to me all who are weary and, and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and, and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. It doesn't say, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will change your job. It doesn't say, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will take away the cancer in your life. Or I will change your spouse. It says, I will give you rest. That's the contentment we have during uncertainty. We can't always control what happens to us, but we can control how we react to them. 
We simply have to say that God knows best, that I trust that he cares for me, and I humbly come to a place of authority in our life. The disciples learned this, didn't they? The disciples who, the folks that were with Jesus throughout his time here on earth were, were, were following him around. And at one point we see in Mark where Jesus says, let's go on a boat. And they, they're on a boat and they're, they're crossing a lake and a big storm comes up, huge storm. And they are terrified. The disciples are terrified. It must've been a bad storm because these are fishermen used to storms. But this storm obviously was one that provoked a lot of fear. And they were, they were afraid. And where's Jesus? He's, a, he's sleeping on the boat down in the, down in the stern. We see in Mark 4, verse 38, it says, but he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said, teacher, teacher do not care that we are perishing. He woke up and rebuked the wind and, and said to the sea, peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? wonderful about this passage is it reminds us that during times of uncertainty, we can draw near to God, he'll draw near to us, and we can have that contentment. What's interesting about this passage is that Jesus had the disciples exactly where he wanted them to be. He was the one who told them to go on the boat. It said in verse 35, on that day when the evening came, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Jesus was the one who told them to go on the boat. He knew exactly where they were going to be. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Jesus knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. He wants you to come near to him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see, when a huge problem comes up in our life, who do we run to? Jesus, because he cares, he loves us. Interesting enough that it had nothing to do with the storm. It had everything to do with the trust in God. The disciples were struggling with their trust. Don't you care, the disciples said to Jesus. How many times have we said that? We cry out to God and say, don't you care? Don't you care I'm in this situation? Don't you care about my wayward child? Don't you care about my spouse or my job or my house? Don't you care about those things? Of course he cares. He loves you. He wants to take care of you. That's the contentment we can have during uncertainty because when we draw near to God, he will give us rest. He will give us peace once we know that and realize that he is in control. That's the submission. It's not about giving up our freedom or independence. It's about gaining peace. Some of us are worried about all kinds of things in life. Satan uses those things to get us to lose our focus on God during times of uncertainty, to get us distracted, to get us to a point where we think, you know, we can handle this on our own. We don't need God. That's the temptation. It's wonderful to know that when we come to a point where of submission, that we can have courage during those temptations. We can have contentment during uncertainty. And ultimately, we can have comfort during trials. Comfort during trials. Do you believe that? And when we come to God, that he can give us comfort no matter what we're going through. James 4 
verse 10 says this. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The word exalt there is the Greek word for hupsao, which means to lift up or raise to happiness. I love that because I know this morning, many of us need some happiness in our life. Some of us are dealing with all kinds of trials. We need that happiness. We need to be lifted up. It's been a long time. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you, lift you up. You know, in 1 Peter 5, Peter says the same thing. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Peter goes on to say, Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That word cast is a great word because it really means to throw away, to throw down, to let go. The key is when we cast, we got to let it go. You want to know how to submit to God? You got to let it go. You got to cast and you got to let it go. God wants us to come to him. He wants us to cast our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. I've talked to many people who are stressed and anxious about things in life. And I'll, I'll say to them, have you been praying? They say, yes, Jared, I've been praying about these things, but I'm so worried. I'm so stressed. I said, are you trusting God? They say, yes, I'm trusting God, but I'm still worried. I'm still stressed. I just can't sleep at night. I'm, I'm a mess. And I say, I don't think that you're really trusting God. Because if you're really trusting God, when you cast those cares, you'll let them go. You'll let them go. That's the hard part about submission is when we cast our cares, we got to know that he loves us, that he cares for us, and then we got to let him go. See, this verse is a reminder that the presence of humility is directly related to the absence of anxiety. Why? Because when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we come to the point that we realize that God is in control and I can't handle these burdens on my own. I, 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 I can't ignore them. I can't distract myself from them. I, I can't deny them. I just got to give them back to God and trust that he's going to take care of them. You know, I don't think that there's more of a perfect example of dealing with submission than that set by Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ, when he was going to be crucified on the cross for us, went to the garden. And we see in verse 42, Jesus in the garden praying. And in verse 42 of Luke 22, it says this. Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. Can you imagine praying so earnestly that blood comes from your head? There was great anguish. You ever pray like that? You ever been to a point where you're praying so earnestly that you feel like blood is coming from your head? I've been there. I know what that's like. 
I know what it's like to wrestle with those things. Some of you have been wrestling with things for a long time. And you lay awake at night and you're praying in such anguish, God, take away these things. Take away. Take away the sickness. Take away the disease. You think about losing your house, your spouse. You think about being lonely forever. You think about a child that you can't speak to, a child that you don't have, a child that you can maybe never have, or a child that died thinking about having to care for a parent or maybe you worry about somebody caring for you. You think about your stressful job or not having a job. You wonder how I can provide for my family or if somebody will provide for me. You think about the fact that I wish I had a family. You think about that uncertainty, that anguish. It freezes your feet. It makes your heart pound and brings blood to your face. Have you ever prayed like that? I have. I know what it's like. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus has been there in anguish? How remarkable, though, is that he, he cared to share it with us. He told us about it. We tend to do the opposite, don't we? We tend to, we have trials or things in life, we, we tend to bury them deep down, don't we? We gloss them over, we kind of put our hands in our pocket, we come to church, we put a smile on our face, we keep our sweaty palms away, we try to keep the nausea down, our dry mouths a secret. Not so with Jesus. We see no mask of strength, but we hear a request from, for strength. Father, if you're willing, take away this cup. The first one that heard the anguish was God the Father, wasn't it? Jesus did not go to his mother first or the disciples. He didn't call a prayer meeting. Maybe all would have been appropriate, but none would have been his priority. He went first to his father. We tend to go all kinds of places, don't we? We go to the bar or to a counselor or to a self-help book or, or to a friend next door. Not so with Jesus. He went first to the Father. A millennium earlier, David, who was dealing with very similar things of anguish, went to his father as well. He says, I will fear no evil, David said. He knew where to look. Your rod, your strength, they comfort me. Rather than turning to the sheep, David turned to the shepherd. He knew where to look. We do this, need to do the same with ours. When we have anguish, when we have, when we have trials in our life, we need to first go to our Father. That's what it means when we say, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. We need to enter those gardens of Gethsemane on our own. We enter them. We just don't need to enter them alone because we know God's there. And when we're there in those midst of praying during anguish and trials, it's okay to pound the pavement. It's okay to allow tears to fall. And if you sweat blood, you definitely won't be the first because that's what Jesus did. And we need to be specific when we cast our cares. Jesus said, take this cup, he prayed. Casting your anxiety means you give God the specifics of the things that you're dealing with. You tell him the fears, the anxieties, the worries that you have. You talk about the job transfer. You talk about the spouse. You talk about the child. You talk about the sickness. You cast your cares, you be specific. He has plenty of time. He has plenty of compassion and care. He doesn't think that your worries, your fears, your anxiousness are, are silly. When we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. And he also knows what you need. 
That's why we punctuate our prayers. Prayers. Jesus said, if you're willing, that's what submission is all about. Trusting God no matter what. Was God willing? Yes and no. He didn't take away the cross, but he took away the anguish, didn't he? God can do the same for yours. When we have those trials in life, when we come to a point of submission, boy, is there comfort. Man, is there contentment. As we come to a a close, it reminds me of a story that I heard of a pastor who was visiting a man in the hospital, and this man was dying of a, a terminal disease. He'd been in the hospital for many months. When the pastor entered the man's room, he noticed an empty chair sitting right next to the bed of the man. He wondered if somebody else had been there just before. And the old man smiled and said to the pastor, no, that, that chair is for Jesus. I talk to him every day. The pastor was puzzled, so the man explained, I learned many years ago, said the man, that submission to God is really about trusting him for every aspect of our lives and being humble in the circumstances. And so doing, I cast my anxiety on him, knowing that he cares for us. So every day I pull up the chair next to my bed and I have Jesus sit there and I talk with Jesus every night. I call out to him to rescue me by taking away the disease or give me peace. And every day I call out to him, he answers me. He doesn't take away my disease, but he gives me peace. A week later, that daughter of a, that man called the, the church to tell the pastor that her father had passed away that afternoon. Did he die in peace? The pastor asked. Oh, yes, such peace. When I was leaving for the store, the daughter said, he called me over to his bedside, told me he loved me, gave me a kiss, and said, I'm going home. When I returned to his room an hour later, I found him dead. Then the daughter paused and said to the pastor, strange thing though, his head was not on his pillow when he died. It was lying on some empty chair next to his bed. That's peace. That's submission, knowing that God's in control. That man found courage, contentment, and comfort despite the circumstances. And see, when we come to a point of submission, we can have the same. Contentment, courage, and comfort. It's not about losing our independence, our freedoms. It's about gaining peace. My hope and prayer for all of you is that you'll find that when we come to the point of submission, this discipline of submission. And when we can come to that point of submission, to God in all aspects of our life, then the spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about over the past few months really become a lot easier. Our prayer lives get strengthened. Our study, our solitude, our guidance, the worship that we have, the confession, the simplicity, the service, the celebration and fasting all become a lot more attainable when we first and fully submit to God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for the fact that you know exactly what we're dealing with, that you've been there. Lord, we thank you for the fact that when we can cry out to you, you draw near to us. Lord, we 
come to you, many of us with heavy hearts, knowing that there's many things that we're dealing with. Lord, we ask for that courage during these times. We ask for contentment, knowing that you're in control. And Lord, we ask for comfort. We ask for peace. Lord, thank you for the fact that you love us, that you care for us. I pray that we can fully put our our faith and our trust in you, and that when we can cast our cares, that we can let them go as well. Be with us in the days ahead as we seek to develop these disciplines in our life. Lord, be with us. Help us to develop this discipline of submission to you. We ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.